Rob Shank here. You're listening to Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, a podcast sponsored by the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute of Washington, D.C. And I have the pleasure of having as a conversation partner today a wonderful soul. Uh, I'd like to say cut in the the shape of a modern-day Bonhoeffer. Uh, Chaplain Timothy Mallard is a minister of word and sacrament in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. He is, as you might guess, a military chaplain. U.S. Army holds the B.A. from Stetson University, M.Div. from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, T.H.M. from Columbia Theological Seminary, M.S.S. from U.S. Army War College, uh, and I'm going to embarrass myself, Chaplain, and say I don't even know what the MSS is. It's a Master's of Strategic Studies. Ah, Strategic Studies. Okay. Uh, That figures. And, uh, of course, Ph.D. in Theological Ethics, which puts you right in the orbit with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, whose central, pardon me, central focus was ethics. Uh, Matt from the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, member of the International Society of Military Ethics and the Religious Affairs Initiative of the Council on Foreign Relations. He is a graduate and is a Grierson Prize recipient as Distinguished Army Master Strategist, U.S. Army Command and General Staff College, and is a graduate and former Eisenhower Fellow. Uh, U.S. Army War College. Uh, Today, Chaplain, your post is, tell me again, just make sure I get that accurately. I'm the Command Chaplain for United States Army Europe and 7th Army in Wiesbaden, Germany. So in that that position, I'm the senior United States Army Chaplain in Europe, um, overseeing the work of about 400 chaplains and religious affairs specialists and directors of religious education for our uh, Army forces in Europe. No small portfolio. Right. <laughs> You're anything but bored. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's a wonderful, wonderful work that you do. And of course, I know you because of our shared interest in a man who few really treat this part of Bonhoeffer's life and, and, uh, and predicament, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the letter he wrote in September of 1939, Mm -hmm. seeking to be appointed as a military chaplain. Yes. And this is a very little examined aspect of his story. Right. And yet I I would argue a terribly important one. Right. He would be unsuccessful. Right. He he was never appointed a chaplain. Mm -hmm. I think you, you probably know more than I do, but I think because of technical reasons. Yes, and probably also some political reasons because of his his prior um, work with allied with the Confessing Church um, when he applied to the Feldbischoff, and you know uh, his his application was turned down. Um, but when I was doing research for for my PhD. Uh, uh, came across a copy of the original, original um, Ankla, Ankla, excuse me, my German's a little rusty, Anklage Geschrift, 
hmm. um, uh, which is the SS prosecutor's report. Um, a copy of that is in the, the archives of Union, Union Seminary in New York <laughs> City. And in reading that and translating that, there is his own statement to, during his interrogation, um, uh, while he was in prison, um, that he had applied to become an army chaplain, but, but was in fact turned down. Now with the publication of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Corpus, we have a little bit further uh, um, um, idea of his 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 the me the mechanism of his attempt to do that, mm -hmm. uh, but it, it really goes to a central problem that Bonhoeffer was wrestling with his his entire career um, as a public theo theologian, and it's the same question that drove my my own research interest in him is how do we live out our faith in uh, the context of um, a disestablished church. Um, and faith tradition, um, in his case, under the, the aegis of a hegemonistic uh, and, and tyrannical state. Um, so he, he wrestled with that problem his entire uh, career and as a public theologian. And, and in my estimation, his, his, uh, his, his application to become uh, an army chaplain um, was one more attempt on, on his part to try and flesh that out and find God's will in, in that regard, and, and I think to serve God faithfully. Yeah, let's talk about that okay. for a minute, because there are so many surprising twists and turns in, in Bonhoeffer's Odyssey. Right. And, you know, of course, he got criticism uh, once he joined the Abwehr, mm -hmm. the uh, right. intelligence service. Right. He's in the employ right. of the Nazi state. Yes. So that confused a few people right and yet goes to the heart of Bonhoeffer's whole approach to the ethical question and yes. do you see that in his pursuit of the chaplaincy I mean let's I, explore that just a little bit your own thoughts on why he was uh, going for the for an appointment I yes I do see that in his uh, desire to become a chaplain because I I think in, in both instances his motivation was the same again how do I uh, serve God faithfully um, and live out my faith in the midst of this particular uh, context? Um, it was clear by then, you know, the, uh, the pastor seminary at Finkenwalde had been uh, closed down, so he was not going to be able to uh, continue his career in academic theology. Um, he was not going to be able to continue his career in pastoral ministry. Uh, so how, how do I live out my faith um, and lead others to do the same thing, by the way, um, uh, in, in a way that is consistent with uh, my, my, my theological beliefs in God, but that is uh, attenuated by uh, the context in which I find myself. So, again, my, my estimation is that his motivation was the same in both cases, and the, the invitation to become a part of the conspiracy was he saw a way of, um, uh, yes, serving under the rubric of the state while not taking on the values of, of the state, if, if that makes sense. Which he could do as a chaplain. That's correct. Because, uh, uh, well, well he, he, maybe he, you answer that, why? Well, he, he and, and uh, uh, 
for, well, first of all, at, at that time, uh, conscription was mandatory. Um, so yes. all, all, all young German men were being called up. Um, so just in case somebody's tempted to think, right. well, gee, he had a lot of other options. Yeah. Not it, necessarily that, so. He had already been called up once, and that, that was placed on a deferment for a year. That's correct. And he and uh, his his eventual biographer, Eberhard Bitke, uh, actually discussed many times uh, the possibility of becoming um, uh, an army chaplain, a military chaplain. What I don't think either one of them knew, and Mark Hayden uh, subsequently did a very fine analysis of the co-opting of um, the military chaplaincy in the Wehrmacht um, over, over the course of World War II, what I don't think either Bonhoeffer or Bitka under, really understood, nor, nor, nor could they have, um, was that if they you know, had become military chaplains, or, or if Bonhoeffer had become a military chaplain, that over time he would have been actually even more constricted in his um, ability to serve, um, even pastorally, uh, soldiers within, within the Wehrmacht. Um, so, uh, he had an understandable naivete about uh, that. Yeah, uh, you know, it was yet to be revealed. I exactly, really. and 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 there was no way he could have foreseen that. So, in in, I, I think in God's providence, um, by actually becoming a member of the conspiracy, he ended up having a much much greater impact on a much much broader scale than he would if he, if would have if he had become. Um, a, a uniformed uh, chaplain in, in the Wehrmacht. So some have uh, said that through the, his Pomeranian uh, church associations that he did have uh, some Calvin in him. So maybe <laughs> at, there were flashes of understanding that this was God's way of of releasing him and not containing him. Right. So for, for Bonhoeffer, the the issue of ethics is always about context. If if you need any kind of just sort of basic rule of thumb with with him when he's thinking about ethics. It's always in what is the context that is facing um, the man or woman of faith at the moment? And then um, is there allegiance principally first uh, to, to God? Uh, and in and, and that, um, that way, that, that, that man or, or that woman will, will understand them what their calling is in that particular, um, in that particular context. So as a result, then, when the invitation for him to become a member of the conspiracy opened up, um, he viewed it as an ethically permissible way, I think, to both serve God um, and live out his calling to also serve the church and potentially even use his contacts with the, um, uh, the international ecumenical community um, on behalf of uh, genuinely faithful Christians with, with, within Germany. Mm. Um, it's, it's important to note, and, and this is a, a very critical part of uh, Bonhoeffer's life, um, you know, so much around him, as with perhaps many public figures, there's some myth that might grow up around mm. him, um, you know, that Bonhoeffer did not, you know, actively partic participate in assassination plots, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. but. He, he was a member of the conspiracy, but he, his position was as uh, the, the German contraction is Fiemann, you know, so, um, uh, and it's a contraction of Vertrauensmann, 
um, which is is not even really formally a spy, right? So it, under international law, a spy can be treated as a combatant, an enemy combatant of a, of a foreign power. Mm-hmm. But as a, a Vimon, um, he was, um, he had diplomatic uh, passport, he was able to travel even outside uh, Germany. Um, and he was able to meet with a number of uh, uh, leaders in the ecumenical uh, church movement around Europe or, or converse with them. And the expectation was of, of Vimon, um, as Ferdinand uh, Schlingen-Siepen uh, rightly notes, that then you would share perhaps observations, insights, but it wasn't sort of actionable intelligence. And I, I think that nuance is very important in understanding Bonhoeffer's motivation. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he saw that this is a way that in a, in a particular place that I can serve, um, again, in, in allegiance to God um, and in the cause of the church, but in a way that ethically did not compromise his, um, his, his role as either a theologian or as a pastor. That's a great way of just starting to approach his ethical theory mm-hmm. and his system mm-hmm. that he worked with. Right. Uh, and you took that in a certain direction with your own uh, dissertation work right? So, for your PhD. Let's talk about that, how okay. you applied the Bunhofer uh, approach to ethics in, in a, a, another uh, question. Right, so the, the central question that, that, that fired my uh, study of Bonhoeffer was, um, how do we employ Bonhoeffer's theology in the doing of public theology in the 21st century? Now, that's a fairly compact question, but there's always sort of nuances to it. And, and some of the nuances are, how do we employ Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology as a model for public theology in the 21st century, but being attentive to his historical context, mm. Uh, being attentive to his own theological growth and development, being um, <clears throat> respectful of the the corpus of his actual writings, um, speeches, sermons, you know, letters. Um, in in essence, how do we do that without reading into Bonhoeffer what we want to see out of him? Yes, right. right. So, um, and Which Stephen it, Haynes has dealt with. Y- uh, yes, in, in uh, his battle over Bonhoeffer. Exactly. <clears throat> and, and candidly, many American Christians have been, I think, justly criticized uh, by other Bonhoeffer scholars around the world um, that we might too often want to do that and, and use Bonhoeffer uh, for our own purposes or see him in our own way. Mm. Um, so uh, in, in my research, one of the things was to read Bonhoeffer for Bonhoeffer. Mm and read Bonhoeffer for Bonhoeffer, but within his context. And that, again, because you have such a prolific author and scholar and pastor, I mean, that, that was a tremendous amount of work. But, Which is itself terribly Bonhoefferian to read in context. Yes, right. Because as you said, in, in his approach really to everything, mm-hmm. uh, everything pertinent, but particularly ethics, theology, ecclesiology, Yes. Context is paramount. It, it, it is. And 
So, so my work, I, you know, much of, uh, much of, uh, Bonhoeffer's theology, uh, is most known for his, his more famous Christology, but I did want to focus on his ecclesiology again, <clears throat> pardon me. What is his theology of the church in the world? And how is the church uh, supposed to live its faith out in the world, uh, in, in his context, in a world in, in which it has been, uh, uh, frankly, again, disestablished from the society from out of which it sprang. Um, and now, in fact, is living in contradiction to the society from which it sprang. Um, that seemed to me, in, in, in my studies, to be a, 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 a question that had a tremendous amount of currency to, um, to contemporary Christianity in the 21st century. And that's why I suspected when I started the project that Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology might in fact be a model for the doing of contemporary 21st century public theology. Mm. Uh, and I wanna explore that just a little bit more. Sure. Take it a little bit. Uh, further, because as you say, he, he seems more relevant now mm -hmm. than perhaps uh, he's ever been, or mm -hmm. you know, at least it seems like you know there's there's uh, rise and fall mm -hmm. in that relevancy. Right. But <clears throat> you have the 1960s, for example, right. uh, where he seemed very relevant mm -hmm. in that moment, uh, but. Now, uh, in what some people still talk about as postmodern, mm -hmm. certainly less religious mm -hmm. period of time, and then we have his whole concept of religionless Christianity. Right. That gave me the idea of an app-based ministry program, but that we're, that's for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> for now, um, let's talk about that. How, right. how did you apply mm -hmm. that part of Bonhoeffer to your question? Well, the, the one thing you could not do, <clears throat> and I realize this, and, and because Bonhoeffer was not writing for a contemporary public theological problem in yes. 21st century America, um, but he was dealing with the same themes, I think. So in, in, in looking at the fullness of Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology, going back to his own doctoral dissertation, Sanctorum Communia, which was his, the first of his uh, major published, published works. Um, but going from there all the way through um, ethics, what were the themes that uh, Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology um, could offer to us today? And so, so I drew out five themes from Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology of presence, witness, counsel, suffering, and hope that the church always, uh, and even if Bonhoeffer didn't particularly use those terms, such as counsel, you know, I, you know, but the church is always presence, present as the, incar as, the, as the embodied incarnation of Jesus Christ in the world. Um, we are always bearing witness to Jesus Christ, the man for others in the world. We are always the church, a, a type of counsel to the state in, in which uh, any particular Christian confession will find itself um, in a counsel to contemporary culture. Um, Bart's we, conscience exactly. of the state. We, we are always, like Christ, suffering for 
the world and for for others. But we are always also finally the embodiment of the existential hope of uh, both individuals and the church and the entire world for the completion of God's redemptive uh, project in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So. In, in, in my uh, estimation, I thought that Bonhoeff, those themes, uh, presence, witness, counsel, suffering, and hope, offered a, a relevant um, a, uh, model for public theology in the 21st century that could be applied in an American context. It could be applied in uh, a context in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. It could be a, applied to a context in South America. It could be applied to a context in Asia. Um, and I think, I, you know, I, I, I hope that, that with the rise of Christianity in the global south today, um, as Alistair McIntyre and others have, have, have uh, very aptly demonstrated, that one of the things that we're seeing is in fact Bonhoeffer being read and, and, and employed in new contexts that we never had uh, the ability to, to see even 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Um, I'm and, hoping to get to the, uh, to the international uh, conference in uh, Cape Town. Yes. 2020. Yeah. For that reason, I want to hear reflections from other contexts, if you will. Precisely of Bonhoeffer and the application. In, in just the couple of minutes that we have left, sure. I, I want to go to another paper okay. you wrote, right. which was Bonhoeffer as a model of moral leadership. Right. Is it possible that was a, that was a, a substantial paper? Can you right. boil down uh, your, your summary on that? Yeah, uh, I, just I'll, why you took it on and, and what conclusion you drew? Right. So. Um, I, I did this as actually my, my uh, thesis at the War College, ah. and 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 I I, re, I really didn't know when I started uh, 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 the, the the degree program, which the Army sent me to. Um, I just asked my supervisor, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm we're studying strategic leadership here. Um, would you mind if I if I wrote on Dietrich Bonhoeffer as an as as an exemplar of of, of a strategic moral leader? And he said, "No, I, th I think that'd be a great idea." So, even in the army, there was this appreciation that you know a guy a guy like Bonhoeffer could uh, could speak in some t sense to to the uh, to even to the American civil military construct today. So, <clears throat> the question I wanted to explore was, how does one um, become a, a, a strategic moral leader um, that really impacts the world. Now, so that was the problem in that paper and in, and in, in that thesis, a separate problem from, from my uh, doctoral dissertation and work. Because, I mean, there's no doubt that Bonhoeffer, uh, among 20th century theologians, is one of the most impactful theologians around the world, in, as, as we've just talked about in, in numerous contexts. Well, how does one do that? And, and so, uh, one of the things that 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 I saw was that there's there's a sort of continuum, and Bonhoeffer represents that continuum. That there's there's the development, of a significant um, development of moral formation in the life of that individual leader, even if they perhaps, you know, aren't cognizant of that at the time. Um, and in Bonhoeffer's case, it it went all the way through. Uh, his 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 academic training, but also his his pastoral training, um, 
and even his family life to a, to a great degree. So there's this there's this moral formation that takes place within the character of the leader. But then the second stage is that there's a point at which that development and and the ethical paradigm that one has has in, internalized comes into some sort of conflict or tension with the world around one, the context in which one finds oneself. And and at that point then, the, the, the original moral formation of the leader may come uh, un, w- within himself or herself under some sort of consideration or, or self-review or, or reflection or even, um, you know, wholesale change. Um, and, but then finally, the the third stage is that that leader then comes to a place of sort of resolution of of how they're actually going to employ um, their theology um, in the case of a Christian pastoral leader or Christian academic leader like Bonhoeffer um, in the service to the world and that in that way uh, along that continuum Bonhoeffer's life offers an example that is very very similar to other Again, moral leaders who don't just impact their local communities, but a, a key qualifier that I was looking at was how do they impact on the strategic situation, the fates of entire nations or even uh, global movements like uh, you know the global Christian Church. That was the that was the qualifier I was looking at, and Bonhoeffer to me represents a consummate exemplar in that process. Mm. Often compared to people like King. Yes, exactly. Uh, like Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Which is exactly one of the reasons why he and King and, and, and others are on, you know, the uh, the facade of Westminster Abbey now today in yes. London, you know. Indeed. Yes, that's right. That's and right. our own Washington National Cathedral. Right. I, I have to remind exactly. the cathedral, the only place in North America you will find a statue of Bonhoeffer is there next to King and yeah. others. Yeah. Well, you've given us a whole new context in which to consider Bonhoeffer. Uh, And I include in that, uh, you are the one and only military chaplain I know who is a Bonhoeffer scholar. And so you've brought a new perspective on him which connects uniquely to him. Mm. We forget that. We forget that he served in a military context. Right. And it's lost on most civilian uh, scholars and researchers and, and, and even uh, fans of Bonhoeffer. The, the totality of the, of the national socialist state, and, and, and as, as we mentioned at the beginning of the, the cast, I'm, I'm stationed now again in Europe as a senior army chaplain for our forces in Europe, but we're based in Germany. And this is my fourth tour living in Germany. It is simply hard for Americans to understand um, the the to, again the totality of control across the the spectrum of life in in the national socialist state, um, the economy, education, the military, the political system, certainly the attempts by medicine, by, medicine, the church, everything, public communication. I mean, everything um, was subservient to. Um, the the idealist the idealized life of the Third Reich, um, so and and the 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 mechanism for power in in the Third Reich obviously was yes the military, um, and and so that 
you, again, you have to pay attention to that as the primary context in which he was trying to live and work out his faith in, and lead others to do the same faithfully. Um, that prompts in me today a tremendous humility um, in wanting to follow that same course in my own life and ministry. Um, and uh, and it, it, it drives me in a very in very important ways every day to to simply, as Bonhoeffer did, ask God for eyes to see and ears to hear what you will have me do today. I like him, I don't live much beyond the context of that day and, and according to established you know rules and principles, but I try to maintain an awareness of the context and a fidelity to to God as the ultimate authority. Um, and that that his 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 way in that regard continues to guide us today. Well, the fan behind me just signaled that we're out of time, <laughs> but I sure appreciate the conversation, and You're uh, and I hope you've uh, our, our folks listening get as much out of this uh, as I did. Thank you. Oh, you're so I welcome. I think you have a greater appreciation for a dimension, an important dimension of Bonhoeffer than I will ever have because of the context you serve Christ in. And I really appreciate you sharing those insights you're welcome. with all thank, of us. Thank you, and it's my, my honor to, to serve the Institute and, and, and our people in studying and following uh, this great leader of the faith. Well, sorry, everybody, that I sat down next to the Amana uh, heating unit, but uh, you don't have to listen to it for long because this podcast is done. Thanks for joining us.